Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Uh, yeah, the Rushis are just a great example of a, a godly marriage. Uh, this this week, my wife, Tammy, and I, we're going to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. And uh, for that, we're thankful to God. And uh, and, and I don't say, say that like, hey, look what we did, uh, because it's truly God. It, it is Christ and his grace. I mean, if you have a tough time with me, imagine what my ha- wife has to put up with day after day. That is the grace of God on her life. Like, I don't even like putting up with me. And so uh, it's really a testament to what God can do in a relationship and in a marriage. Uh, it, it's important for us to honor marriage. The Bible tells us that we need to honor marriage. And, and I, I mentioned that about my love for Tammy, just simply because I want to I want to honor marriage. I'm not like trying to get points with with her. I don't know if I've ever told you my theory on, on points. Uh, it, guys, we tend to equate a whole lot of points for like little things. Like that's a thousand points. Like I, I vacuum. That's a thousand points uh, to our wife. That was like two points. And uh, men's points they go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. No, they expire at midnight, and that's it. That that's the end. Um, uh, there was a time when Winston Churchill was at a, a banquet for dignitaries, and they asked all the dignitaries a question. And the question was, if you couldn't be who you are, who would you like to be? And everyone was really interested in what Winston Churchill was going to say, now an older man. And so everybody went first, and Winston Churchill was the last to talk. And he stood and he said, if I could not be who I am now, I think I would be And then he paused, and he grabbed his wife's hand, and he said, I would like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. That's about a bazillion points right there. (laughs) We need to honor marriage. The goal for our marriages, I think, it's not like endurance. Like, boy, I hope we can just get to the end. It's not like this prolonged endurance, but I think it should be this deepening romance and love and commitment that God calls us to. Uh, we just would love it if we could get to the get to the end of our lives, look in our spouse's eyes, and say, "Man, I I would do it all again." Right? Like I love you more now than when we first got married. And in order for that to happen in all of our marriages, it's going to take commitment. Commitment. Those vows that we make before God, the covenant. I read back in 2015 that there was a trend that, that was happening. Not sure if it's still going on, but uh, there were young people who were who changing their marriage vows to, to change it from for as long as we both shall live, and they were changing it to as long as we both shall love, or, or as long as love shall last. And if you go to a wedding and you hear that in a vow, that's when you send paper plates as a wedding gift. Like disposable marriage disposable gifts. Today, as we talk about commitment, I just, I want to talk to those of you who've been divorced. And I want to mention that today is not about making you feel guilty. That is not the intention at all. My desire is if you've been through that, you've been affected by it in some way, that the Lord will bind up your heart, that you will continue to move in the direction of his holiness, that you would find great joy in being obedient to him and to his word. 
And while divorce is one of those things that has impacted so many people and has brought pain, uh, it shouldn't keep us from honoring marriage and talking about all that marriage should be according to the word of God. So today we're going to turn in scripture once again, and we're going to see what the scriptures have to say about the covenant of marriage. And I say the covenant of marriage because I think sometimes people start thinking that marriage is a contract. It is not a contract. It is a covenant. There's a different uh, difference. There's a uh, contract is something that's temporary. Uh, covenant, that's forever. That is permanent. The contract, that, that's something that just kind of imagines that you don't need forgiveness. So uh, we've got these laws in the contract, and if you break that, well, then there's no going back. But a covenant, now that, that's forgiveness. A contract, that's, that's getting rid and pushing away of the relational attachment. A contract that puts my needs first. A covenant puts the needs of somebody else first. A contract uh, just assumes that there's going to be some distrust in the relationship. A covenant does not do that. A covenant uh, is something that we have that is community-focused, where a contract is just kind of like two individuals. But God calls us into the marriage relationship, and it's a covenant. And, And this whole idea of covenant began with God, and we find it in Scripture, and we find it right away. That we have the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We, we call the Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament, but that word testament is actually covenant. So we have the Old Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, you have covenants within the covenant. You have a covenant between God and Abraham and between God and Noah and God and Moses and David. And then, of course, you have God's covenant with his people, Israel. And the covenant, it's a pledge. It's a vow. It's actually a blood bond. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, when God established his covenant with the nation of Israel, it was uh, was confirmed in Exodus chapter 24. And in verse 8 of Exodus 24, it says that Moses killed an animal, then he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. And in verse 8, chapter 24, he says, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And then we move into the new covenant. And that covenant has been established in blood. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the covenant that he has established with us when he died on the cross for our sins. In fact, he just spells it right out there in the upper room. If you recall, before he goes to Golgotha, before he is on the cross, and he takes the cup, and he says this cup that is poured out for you is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. And so covenants, something that God does not take lightly. It is a serious pledge, a blood bond. And that's why I've seen Pastor Paul do wedding ceremonies, and he has the couple, and they'll have their first communion together. And I think that's very fitting and very poignant that we would look to the covenant that God has established with his people and realize that this is not some light matter that we are entering into when it comes to pledges and vows and this relationship. God takes the vow very, very seriously. In fact, in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, just this one verse, and we'll, we'll move on from there, but look at what it says there in Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So God is always faithful to his promises. God can always be counted on. And if we are going to be people of God, 
If we're going to represent God, if we're going to be image bearers of this God, then you and I need to be faithful to our commitments, to our covenants, to our promises, to the pledges that we make. We need to be people of our word. If we make a vow as a Christian, we should be one who has integrity. We should have this faithfulness and truthfulness about us. If we make a vow as a Christian, we're to keep it. We are to be promise keepers. We're called to be truthful and honest. And so when we stand before God and a community of people that we've gathered together and we say, look, I'm going to commit myself to this individual to have and to hold for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. Then we've got to hold to that promise. And we can't just throw away what we have vowed to. So in the Old Testament, we we find uh, this covenant idea as well. And so we're going to turn to Malachi. If you brought your Bible, open open to Malachi chapter 2. Open your Bible to Malachi chapter 2. It's the last book in the Old Covenant. So uh, if you get to the New Covenant, the book of Matthew, you just turn back one chapter. Now you're in Malachi. We're going to be in both Malachi and then we'll be in Matthew. So this is what it says. The prophet uh, is, is underscoring this requirement for keeping vows. And this is what he says in Malachi chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now I've I've read that from the English Standard Version. If you were reading in your Bible from a different translation, very possibly uh, in verse 16, it says there, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Do you know who else hates divorce? Everybody who's ever been divorced. Because everybody who's ever been divorced, they, they come into it and they, just, they say, man, this was a whole lot more complex and a whole lot more painful than I ever imagined that it would be. It's a tearing of the flesh, right? If you've become one flesh and then you divorce, it is a tearing and you feel it on the inside. So God calls for this commitment because he loves his children. And then when Jesus came and he's establishing the new covenant, he began to talk about this commitment as well. So from Malachi, now flip to the right, just one book, and you're going to find the book of Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 19, and we'll start there at verse 3. The Pharisees have come along. They're looking to trip up Jesus, and so they're going to ask him this question. The Pharisees came up. They came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Then you drop down to verse nine. And I say to you, Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, 
commits adultery. And of course, committing adultery is breaking the law of God. So you you can't go through the scripture and begin to read what it has to say about marriage and think that God is wishy-washy on what he's trying to get across when it comes to covenant and divorce. He continues to talk about it. He continues to point us in this direction of when we make this pledge, when we make this vow, when we make this covenant, we are to remain committed to it. it, it I mean, it's all over the place. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes this. To the married, I give this charge. And then he says, not I. So like, it's not my opinion, Paul is saying. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. And we read things like this, and we're just like, can we catch a break here, God? Why why would you be so strict when it comes to to divorce and remarriage and marriage? And let me give you some reasons why. And these are just some of the reasons why God takes this so, so seriously. The, The first thing is this. Christian marriage is a testimony to the world. I mentioned last week that our marriage, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what God is doing in this world by reconciling people to himself, calling a people to be faithful to him because he is faithful to them. It's this picture of Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ. He is the the, the groom, and we are to be faithful to him because he's faithful to us. Ephesians chapter 5. Like if you're wanting to study a little bit more, what does the Bible say about these things? 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul is writing. He begins to repeat what Jesus says about uh, the two becoming one flesh. And then he says this in verse 32, Ephesians 5, 32. This mystery regarding marriage, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That this is a, marriage is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus, who is committed and faithful to the bride of Christ, gave up his life for us. And then we learn in Ephesians that husbands are told, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in other words, men, we need to go ahead and just sacrifice our life, our desires, our very lives for our spouses, that we would lift them up. And then it says to to wives, wives, respect your husbands and submit to them just as the church submits to Christ. And so in our marriages, what we have is a picture of the gospel and what God is intending to do throughout time. He is faithful to us. People should be able to look at our Christian marriage and they should be able to say, that's what I want. Like like we we watch the, the Rushis and them sharing this this love in their relationship, and we're like, yes. People should be able to look at your marriage as a Christian and be like, I have been longing for that. I've been looking for that kind of love, for that kind of commitment. Another reason that God is so strict regarding marriage is for the security of the home and the benefit of children. There should be this this sense of of peace and and comfort when we come to our homes. This is a safe place. This is a place where I can be nurtured and love and be loved. It needs to be that kind of environment for children as well because the Lord loves children. I think we can tell just by statistics that we look at and by practical experience what happens when children grow up in a broken home. I looked up some statistics this week, and it's just depressing And it wasn't like a a Christian site that I went to that was listing this. It was just like, here are the facts. Here is what happens in a home when kids are growing up without mom and dad. It it contributes to 
promiscuity to juvenile crime to teen pregnancy to sexual abuse to poverty, domestic violence. And God loves children, and he's looking for them to be brought up in a home to be nurtured and encouraged in the ways of the Lord so that they might know him. Like, I, we've been... I've been talking to some of you who are maybe on the edge of, like, I don't really know if there's a God, or I don't really necessarily believe all that the Bible is about and what the church says God is about. But I've been saying, if there is this God, we recognize that there's good and there's evil. That's just the reality in this world. What I'm saying is there's a God in heaven who has made people in his image. He's created mankind. And he's established this this community in its smallest form as a family, a husband and a wife, and then children. Begins to mirror the, the triune God who lives in community, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And there is an enemy of God who hates him, and that's the devil. And if you hated God, what would you begin to attack? You would attack anything that represents his image. You would begin to attack individuals. Then you would begin to work on their marriages. You would sow discord in those marriages so that they would begin to shatter and fracture and pull apart. And now you've not only just affected a man and a wife, you've affected children. And you've not only affected one home, you begin to affect a community. You begin to affect an entire culture. And everything begins to unravel. And you no longer see what it is that God wants us to see when it comes to the gospel and the goodness of his love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might know him forever because of his sacrifice and his commitment to us. Another reason that God's so serious about this is for the benefit of love in our marriages. We all long for that kind of love. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Sternberg. And he came up with this little kind of diagram. He calls it the, the triangle uh, theory of, of love. And it's just really a simplified way of taking a look at what it means to have love in marriage. And so you, you can see this triangle. And on one side of the triangle, he would say you need to write down the word passion. On one side of the triangle is passion. This is the physical side of love, he would say. This is, this is the, the, the attractive part within our marriages. This is the, the spark. This is the ooh-la-la of our, our relationships, right? And typically, just typically and in general, men are very interested in this side of the triangle uh, when it comes to passion, right? And I'm just saying, if there's counseling that's going to happen, you're talking to a, a married guy and there's some kind of struggle, he's generally you know, around this realm of passion. On the other side of the triangle is the word intimacy, in intimacy, that's the emotional side of marriage. This is this, is this bonding that begins to happen. This, this is the, the, the sense of trust and secrets. And uh, we just have this, this closeness that we have as a couple. We have, we have these shared experiences where we trust one another. There's things that only we know about one another. That's intimacy. It's the emotional side. And generally, uh, this is something that women are very interested in, is the intimacy within the marriage. This is why you would hear them say, well, I, he never talks to me. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he's feeling. They're, they're longing to be connected intimately with their spouse. Then at the bottom of the triangle is the word commitment. Commitment. So the physical is passion, and the emotional is intimacy, and at the bottom is commitment, and commitment is a decision. Commitment is a choice that you end up making where you have stability. Commitment is what gives that marriage security. 
It, it is based on this sense of responsibility that I have, this sense of integrity. Like I said I would do this, and I'm going to do this. I am going to remain committed. I am true to my word. I'm a person of the word, and I'm a person of my word. And this is where I remain secure. Now, passion, that fluctuates. The physical side, that fluctuates. That, that can change. It, that changes based on uh, maybe your feelings, your circumstances, uh, your health, familiarity. Uh, someone has once said, uh, love at first sight is nothing special. It's when two people have been looking at one another for years that it becomes a miracle. <laughs> so the passion part, that's fluid. Uh, intimacy is fluid, depending on you know, what's going on in your life, how thoughtful you are to the other individual. So those things are always kind of moving. But commitment, that is the stabilizing factor. That is this godly commitment. This is the godly basis of marriage. And I want to say that if all you have is just the commitment, that can be an empty marriage. You must continue to work on passion and intimacy. You need to continue to invest in your relationship. And I say that because that's a very common thing. If you both don't work on the passion and the intimacy, it becomes empty. But without the commitment to the vow, you have nothing to build on. See, see this, this is why I think that people who just kind of live together, they're missing it. Because they can have passion and they can have intimacy, but they have no commitment. They have nothing to hold the relationship together. You're just kind of playing house with one another. Commitment is the the responsibility to the covenant that God has designed. Otherwise, you can just walk on out when you're not getting enough love, not enough passion, not enough intimacy. This relationship, this commitment is held together. Remember, uh, Remember when I said that marriage grows stronger and closer when you're growing towards Christ together, right? Like both the husband and the wife coming closer and closer to Jesus Christ will strengthen your marriage. I'm a witness. So like at the top of that triangle image, just go ahead and put the word Jesus there. Because he's the one who holds all things together. He's interested in pouring love into your marriage. The basis of that marriage is a commitment, a covenant to your love of Christ, what he's done for you, the spouse that he has called you to. And now you have a responsibility not just to say, well, uh, I'm just going to endure this relationship. No, I'm going to continue to invest in intimacy. I will continue to invest in passion. Whatever God calls us to do in this season, I am here for you. I will give my life away. I will love you as Christ loved the church, or I will respect you and submit to you as the church does to Christ. This is what strengthens a relationship. This is what God has called us to. And this commitment exists because of love, not just simply feelings of love, but a commitment. This is why I think in 1 Corinthians 13, when it starts talking about love, it says love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Committed, godly love never fails. So the question becomes, if it's commitment and it's foundational and it's important, what can we do? What can we do to reinforce that commitment? Now, let me give you some things. And the reason I think that we need to focus on commitment in our marriages is because it has this way of kind of waning. Nobody stands in front of the pastor thinking, well, I'm going to make this vow, and then I'm going to be out in a couple of years. I'll just find somebody else. We all start off with great intentions. 
we all come before God and a community of people and we make these vows and we have every intention that we will be committed to those vows. But if we don't pay attention to the commitment, it begins to wane. And so let me just suggest some things for us in order to strengthen the commitment. The first thing is this, anticipate some difficulties. And we talked about this last week when we talked about expectations and realistic expectations about physical intimacy and uh, meeting each other's needs and expecting there to be uh, some differences among us. Every single relationship, every godly relationship is going to have difficulties. And so if you get into into a marriage and you're thinking, well, this is just going to be great. We're not going to have any problems because we love God and we love each other. uh, That's wishful thinking. There are just practical things that you need to pay attention to in order to remain committed to one another. I heard uh, this story about a young woman, and she told her parents that she had gotten engaged to a theology student. And so the the parents wanted to meet this this young man. So the young man, the fiancé, came over, and the dad started to meet with the fiancé, took him to his study, and he said, "Uh, young man, what what are your plans? And the the man said, well, I'm I'm a biblical scholar. And the dad said, well, that's, that's really interesting. That's, that's great, but what are your plans? How, how do you intend to buy my daughter an engagement ring? And the young man said, well, I'm, I'm going to study the Bible and then just trust God to provide. Dad said, well, how are you going to buy a house? I mean, my daughter deserves a nice house. How are you going to buy a house? Well, I'm, he said, I'm going to just concentrate on my studies and God will provide. And then the dad said, well, what about children? How are you going to support children? And the man said, oh, don't worry about that. You know what he said, God will provide. They get done with that that meeting, and later that night, the dad was meeting with the mom, and he said, I've got some bad news, and I've got some good news. The bad news is, he doesn't have a job. The good news is, he thinks I'm God. (laughs) Godly couples have financial problems. Godly couples have baggage that they bring into a relationship. Godly couples have difficult personalities. And to go in it without thinking that you're not going to have any problems at all, you're in for a rude awakening. There are going to be challenges and difficulties even in a godly marriage. The second thing, in order to strengthen the commitment, I would encourage you, secondly, create some strong boundaries. Create strong boundaries. Uh, You need to determine with your spouse, let's make a vow to one another, no other relationships before ours. No other human relationship comes between us. We're primary. This is it. Mom and dad don't come between us. We're now one flesh. The children don't come before our marriage because the truth is children go, spouses stay. And if you end up putting children first, then what happens is you begin to put the marriage on the back burner. Pretty soon the kids don't have mom and dad and now the children suffer. So primary relationship. And in our primary relationship, we're going to make a vow that we're going to create some strong hedges, boundaries to protect us because you cannot throw a rock and not hit temptation. So we're just going to remain committed to each other and be very, very sure that we create far, far boundaries from anything that would tempt us. In our home, Tammy and I, we don't meet alone with people of the opposite sex. No no riding in cars, no dinners alone with somebody of the opposite sex. We, we, you, you may want to make sure that you have an accountability partner. You want to make sure that you are putting up these strong boundaries. Continue to invest in the intimacy and the passion of your marriage. You, you want to make sure that you're not having intimate conversations with somebody of the opposite sex. Because uh, uh, affairs, adultery, doesn't just happen in the realm of passion. It also help, happens in the realm of intimacy. 
and people begin to connect hearts and maybe not physically, and that is wrong as well. So you need somebody else if you're going to talk to when it comes to those kinds of things. Find a professional counselor that you're able to go to rather than somebody of the opposite sex because you're just setting yourself up for more temptation. What I've seen in people's lives, they tend to to take one small step towards temptation after another, and before long, they find themselves in a place they never thought that they would be because they keep justifying their actions back here and say, well, it's not a big deal. And it may not be a big deal back there, but they cross that boundary, and then they take the next boundary, and they justify and say, well, that's not a big deal. And they keep moving further and further to this ledge that they jump off of, and pretty soon they find themselves in a relationship that they never intended to be in. And so I would encourage you, go ahead and make some decisions now that other people would look at you and say, you're a weirdo. Cool. I'd rather be a weirdo than divorced. Like you, can, you can look at me like I'm crazy all you want, but I'm not putting myself in a tempting position. And so create these strong boundaries. And then finally, the other thing regarding commitment, I would say this, expect the relationship to get better over time. This is the aspect of faith, that God can do something miraculous in your relationship. And I realize that in a church our size, that there may be a number of marriages right now, and you're thinking, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But I stand in front of you as someone who can say, there can be change. God can transform a heart. He changed my prideful, wayward heart. He, he changed my heart from being self-focused to a different heart. And God can do that in your marriage. Just expect that he has that ability. Be willing to continue to invest and do all that you can in that relationship, trusting that God will iron out the rest. For me, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so... M- I'm so much more encouraged by our relationship at year 30 than I was at 20 or 10. I mean, time just has this way of strengthening the relationship. I'm bullish about the future. Like if if the Lord lets my heart continue to beat, like I'm going to pour my love into my spouse. And I know that my spouse will do the same because we're keeping Christ at the center of this. And we're saying, this isn't about me. This is about what Christ wants to do within our marriage. And he can do that for you. And I realize that, that there's tension and there's this ebb and flow when it comes to marriage. Did you, did you know that uh, there's people who kind of look statistically at marriage and, and the struggles within marriage? Do you know when they say the hardest years of marriage is, when, the, when there's a lack of passion and intimacy? It's when couples have adolescent children. And so if, if you're in that stage, like you have adolescent kids in the house and you're thinking, man, this is tough. Like passion, intimacy, all those things, you're not alone. The enemy might like you to think that you're alone. You're probably thinking, well, nobody has ever gone through this before. I don't know that we can really make it through this. You can make it through it. Expect that things will get better. It's a stage. It's a, it's a moment. And over time, it begins to change. And the relationship grows stronger even as a result of the challenges. The other day, I was talking to, um, to, to Ben Warren. I was talking to his family Ben was talking about just his, his love of whitewater rafting. And he, he was telling me, and the kids were telling me about just how great it is. And they were talking about all the different classes. I don't know if you know, there's like these different classes of rapids, class two, three, four, five. Class five evidently is like 
psycho rapids, crazy. It's like this thing, like you don't want to go there. And he said, like, they'll put on a helmet and they teach you how to put point your feet down the, the stream so you don't smash your head into stuff. And then he started talking. I was talking to Brian Lynch about this too. About a time they went whitewater rafting, they fell out of the boat and they got trapped under a rock. Like they're under a rock, and they were talking about the training that they had to do. Like the, the people said, if you fall out of the raft, you just kind of got to find your way and keep moving in one direction. Because if you change direction, you'll just be going back and forth underwater. And they find themselves underneath this rock, just trying to find a way to get back out. And Ben's eyes are really big, and he's like, you should come whitewater rafting. <laughs> I prefer oxygen. Like, I'm not interested in that. There's a a doctor, uh, he's a marriage counselor by the name of Les Parrott, and uh, and he, he compares marriage to whitewater rafting. And this is what he writes about whitewater rafting. He says, you anticipate excitement. Maybe it will be like a thrill ride at an amusement park. Then they give you wetsuits to protect you when you fall out of the boat. Fall out of the boat? You point your feet downstream so that you don't hit your head on a rock. Hit your head on a rock. They give you helmets. Then they talk to you about insurance, and they, they tell you how, they help, how to help each other back into the boat when you fall out. When you start, you discover that's not like a ride at Disneyland at all. This is not pretend danger. It's the real thing, and it's work because they give you an oar, and you have to work against the rapids. And the guy that you paid all that money to to guide you sits in the back of the raft, and he yells at you the whole time. And this business about helping each other out, out into the boat, well, that's a bunch of stuff. Once you fall out, it's every man for himself. At noon, you stop for lunch. And you're saying to yourself, why did I pay good money to come out here and get all wet and miserable and exhausted? But you get back in the boat. And at the end of the day, you sit around the campfire, eating a meal and the refreshments, and you start talking about the thrills that you had, how much water you swallowed, and how much of a struggle it was to get back in the boat. And you say, boy, that was fun. Let's do that again. And there's a bonding that takes place. Marriage is like that. We get into it thinking, this is going to be thrilling. (laughs) This is going to be one great journey. And then we get married. And the level of satisfaction diminishes. And we didn't think about getting tired We didn't think about being miserable. We didn't imagine that there would be a class five rapid tsunami of problems that would hit our lives and our marriage. But then you get down the river and you stop and you begin to recount some of the things that you've been through and you begin to bond further. I want to challenge you today, wherever you find yourself in relationship, make a vow, make a commitment, make a covenant to God. God, I am going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. And I vow that I'm going to love my neighbor, and that includes my spouse, as myself. Your marriage, it is a picture of the gospel of Christ. It is for the benefit of children. It's for the benefit of love. 
remain committed, anticipate that there are going to be some difficulties, create some boundaries, a hedge of protection around your marriage, expect then the relationship to get better and enjoy the ride. Let's pray. Father, I just realized that for marriage to work, none of us can do it in our own strength. We just drop the ball over and over and over again. The only way is by you living your life in us. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Transform us to look more like you. Father, for each marriage that's here in this room, for future marriages, I pray, Lord, that you would protect, that that marriage would be honored, that that marriage would be honoring to you, and that you would have your way in our lives. Again, Father, we must submit to you. We thank you, Father, for all that you can do in the relationships that we have right here in this room and all that you have in store so that you might bring glory to your good name. In your name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.